All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a podcast to be named later. Uh, my name is Patrick Demar. This is Paul Kashak here with me on the show. Paul, uh, pleasure to have you back. No daddy Jason today. No Jason Selikoff, but that's okay. We don't need him. Um, no, don't, don't worry. I appreciate you having me back, Patrick. And uh, I can carry both my weight and Jason's <laughs> just fine. So don't worry about him not being here tonight. Yeah, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. Uh, got a lot of stuff on the brain for tonight. We've got uh, some football to talk about, a couple football things, mostly going to be baseball with the home run derby and the all-star game, but a couple football things. Um, a podcast to be named later. Not a lot of people really got that that's actually a baseball reference, I feel like, with trades sometimes where you have a player to be named later in the deal and like a year or two later, they just throw a random prospect in it or something. Nobody understood that I was actually making like I couldn't come up with a name, but at the same time, I got a I got a sports reference in there. What do you? I mean, you I like I like it, Patrick. I mean, I, I got where you're coming from, but you know what? Genius is not always recognized in its time, and I think that this might be a a situation where that's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, we're working on it. Um, the biggest, some of the bigger sports stories from this week, um, and I, I'm with this podcast again. We're not trying to be any centric on any sports just trying to hit all of them as much as we can it's really just whatever comes to me or whatever i'm interested in paul's along for the ride today um baker mayfield has been traded to the panthers um it's not really that bad of a deal honestly i had to go back and look at what the sam darnold trade looked like uh darnold got traded to the panthers for a sixth round pick in the upcoming year of that draft and then a future second and a fourth round pick whereas baker was only traded for a fifth rounder uh, he's also only being paid $5 million by the Panthers this year. So Baker took a pay cut and then the Browns and the Panthers split what was left of the salary. Uh, he'll be a free agent after this year. Sam Darnold's going to be a free agent after this year as well. Uh, Darnold will be making more money than Baker. I feel like, I don't know if this really makes a difference for the Panthers this coming year. I feel like it doesn't drastically improve or hurt them as a team. I think more so this is a bigger story for the two players involved. Like they're both free agents coming out of this coming season. And unless um, Matt Corral makes a run at the starting quarterback job, it's going to be one of these two guys in Charlotte. I feel like whoever is not the starting, starting quarterback coming out of this battle will never be a starting quarterback again in the NFL. That might be a drastic statement, but not, at least a thought of starting quarterback, if that makes sense. I I don't think that there's anything really drastic about that statement. I think it's 100% factual. Whoever loses this job, especially if it's Darnold, um, Baker has had maybe a little bit more success. I think that is largely attributed to the team and the roster that he's had around him in Cleveland. But this is the last straw, especially for Darnold, and I think for Baker too. I mean, these guys were both – um, extremely high draft picks, Baker number one overall. And they just quite frankly have not lived up to to their draft. I mean, if you want to label them busts, I'm not going to argue with that. I might not go as far as that um, for Baker, um, but they're certainly close if they're not there. Uh, the loser of this quarterback battle, I do think, is going to be uh, a perennial backup probably for the rest of their career. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, that I don't think that this improves things much for the Panthers. Uh, I, I see this team as a six or a seven win team. Uh, you know, they've got to face the AFC North, the NFC West this year. And obviously they have the Buccaneers in their division. That's probably two losses right there. 
Saints are going to present at least one loss, maybe two. So their schedule's not easy, in my opinion. I don't think Baker drastically improves their roster as a whole. I think if Baker wasn't able to have success last year with Cleveland, with talent around him, uh, good offensive line, good running game, and Nick Chubb and Cream uh, Hunt did get hurt. But Dearness Johnson came in and uh, had some good games while while the bigger backs were out yeah. as well. It was, a, it was a good core line and good roster that they had. Uh, if he wasn't able to have success and get to the playoffs there, I, I don't really see how he'll be able to do that in Carolina. The the only thing that I think you could say Carolina did take a big leap in their offensive line. They signed Alex Corbett in the offseason and uh, used their first uh, draft pick on Nicky Aquana, who was one of the highest rated tackles out of NC State. Christian McCaffrey, maybe he stays healthy this year. Maybe, maybe not. But Fantasy football players are shaking in their boots at that statement. Absolutely. If you've had McCaffrey on your team over the past couple of years, it's just which been, you have. <laughs> I had I had him the year he did stay healthy, but yeah, that's true. Past couple yeah. years have been tough for McCaffrey on us, but ultimately, yeah. And I'm also not willing to say that this is Baker's job right now. Um, we'll see. I think that this is this is a battle that's going to be won in camp, and I think Baker has the upper hand right now because um, I think he has a little bit more pedigree to his name, but. It's not a great situation in Carolina. I'm not necessarily willing to say either one of these guys is going to be a franchise guy moving forward. And I don't know if they really drafted Matt Corral with that thought either, uh, I, using a, a mid-round pick on him. So yeah, we'll see. I, I can't say the future is exactly bright in Carolina, but they do have some young players, some young talent, but they got to figure it out at the quarterback position. It really does kind of seem like they set this up almost as a – it's like a flyer year sort of. Oh, yeah. like they have these two guys. They don't have a great roster. Maybe they can maybe they can work their way into a wild card spot if all things work out. Um, we're going to talk about this in a second. They're over under uh, win total per DraftKings is six and a half. So you said six. I have them under six and a half as well. I don't remember if I had them at five or six. Um, but for Baker, I mean, it's it's not as good of a situation as it was in Cleveland. Um, I will say he was dealing with some injuries. Last year, I've actually had the injury that he had to his shoulder last year. I don't know how he was throwing footballs with that. I don't know how. Like, I remember what that felt like for me. I couldn't lift my arm. So for him to actually be throwing footballs in the NFL, I was I was pretty impressed. Granted, he wasn't doing it very well. No. <laughs> but it would be well. hard to with that. So maybe you see slightly different Baker, but I don't know. It's going to be tough. And that's not even talking about the Browns situation. I, we don't know what their team's going to look like with Watson, maybe or maybe not playing this year. That could be – he could be suspended for a while. It could be only a few weeks. Who knows? Um, that's something I want to talk about on the pod as well, but I'm kind of waiting for more information to come. Oh, yeah, that. That, that's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, anything we'd say now is pure speculation. Seriously. Um, over-unders, though, for uh, – we got some over-unders for some teams. I'm doing this specifically based around teams with new starting quarterbacks, not rookies. Rookies don't count for this exercise. I feel like rookies, these, this day and age, it's so unpredictable with their teams. You never know what you're going to get from them the first year. Um, I just want to focus specifically on these, these six teams that I have listed here. The Panthers, who have uh, Baker coming in. The Falcons, who have Marcus Mariota coming cool. in <laughs> the Seahawks with Drew Locke, the Washington commanders with Carson Wentz, the Indianapolis Colts with Matt Ryan, 
And of course the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. Um, those would be the six big quarterback moves of the off season, I guess. Um, we'll start with the Panthers. We both had them under at six and a half. I feel like that's pretty smart. I mean, you mentioned the reasons why they they are playing in an actually decent division. Um, I don't think it's really as strong as others do. I, I don't really see the Falcons. They're over under, uh, they're no, their win totals at five for this year. I feel like that's pretty right on. We'll talk about that more yeah. in a sec, but the Bucs are going to be good again. The Saints are going to be right around the nine, 10 win range, probably somewhere in that mix. Um, maybe a little more, a little bit less, depending on how you feel about them. But I don't, they also have some tougher games on their schedule. They play the Seahawks in Seattle at the end of the year. Um, yeah. I just, I don't really see it happening for Carolina unless they really strike gold or if McCaffrey stays healthy and he and Baker just pair together perfectly. Um, they've got some good younger pieces um, on their defense. I like JC Horn there a lot, um, but we'll see. I mean, we, you spoke your piece on them earlier. Do you have anything to add? No. Yeah. I mean, I, their, their schedule is not the easiest. Their division itself is, is not the hardest division in football, but um I don't think that they're better than any of the AFC North teams. Personally, they play Cleveland week one, which is very interesting. I love how the NFL worked that out. Uh, And if Deshaun is not cleared to play again, we can speculate all we want on that. That is a game that they could win uh, a a Browns team without Deshaun, but I don't, they're not going to be better than Baltimore. Baltimore is going to get healthy this year. And as a Steeler fan, I watch a lot of AFC North football. That's my pick to win the AFC North, not the Bengals. You know, we can talk about that closer to football season, but I don't see them beating Cincinnati. And, I, you know, I'm biased, but I'm going to say the Steelers are going to beat them as well. That's three losses there. They play the NFC West. Uh, they're not beating the Rams. Uh, I don't see them the beating Cardinals the maybe either. could be a toss-up game. Yeah, so I, I don't think that they have the easiest draw either. So uh, the just based on how their schedule falls, I think that they're probably a 6-11 team. That's how I'd peg them. Um and unless Baker can pull something out of his hat, which I, I just I just don't. So I think right. they're pretty much on the same page for their season album. Okay. I like that. Um next up I have the Falcons, who their win total projected is at five this year. I have them listed as over for that, actually. Um Marcus Mariota, he's not a great quarterback by any sense of the word, but He's shown some flashes the last couple of years. I feel like whenever he's gotten thrown into games by the Raiders the last few years, whenever Carr was hurt or something, he's actually done okay. I've watched, like, I was watching some of the games that's happened. I went back and rewatched some. He's not terrible. And with the offense they have there with Kyle Pitts and Corderell, I don't know. I feel like maybe something weird happens there where I don't see them winning a ton of games. I don't see them being a playoff team or anything, but I could see them maybe pulling six or seven even the last couple of years, they haven't had great teams and they've still found ways to hang in them. Maybe that's just from Matt Ryan and, and what he was able to do there, but I personally don't value him that highly as a quarterback anyways. So I don't really think he's a huge, he was a huge difference maker for them. Not the last couple of years, at least. Um, I could see them winning six or seven this year. Um, what about you? I think we're actually going to hit our, our first disagreement of the podcast. I think five is a pretty appropriate number and they could hit that total exactly or go under, in my opinion, I wouldn't take the over on them. 
Mariota has shown flashes. I'll give you that when he's come in and spot duty in Oakland. But I think that there is something to be said that when a backup quarterback comes in, um, it's always unexpected. He does have a different game than Carr. He's a little bit more mobile. And the defense usually prepares for, obviously, the starter. And so they have to kind of re- reorient things when the backup comes in. I mean, look at how good Ryan Tannehill did off the bat when he came in for Mariota in Tennessee. Yeah. So to me, I, I still remember the Marcus Mariota that we had in Tennessee that lost his job. I'm not ex- extremely high on this team. I do think that the, the draft pick of Drake London was solid. They needed to do that, but they're still missing Calvin Ridley um, this year due to suspension. Yep. Cal Pitt, very talented guy. Um, Cordero Patterson showed some really good ability last year, but that was kind of a one-year yeah. deal. Like, we hadn't seen that consistently from him. Now, he's an extremely explosive talent. Maybe that was just because he never had found the home yet. But I'm not willing to just bank on that same performance from him again. Um, I'll have to double-check his age right now really quick. I do believe he's in the high 20s. Um, and for a running back, that's obviously um, – that that can be – Slash wide uh, receiver. A, a, a concern. He is a part of wide receiver, but he's 31 years old. I just looked it up. Yeah. So a running back receiver, you know, how much – how long can he hold up? We'll see if he can do it for a second year in a row. I wouldn't go above the win total of five. Obviously, the Falcons schedule is going to be nearly identical to the Panthers. Um, I think right on the dot at five is is about – is about pretty accurate, maybe under, if anything, for me. So I think we have a slight difference of opinion on this one. Their schedule, honestly, it's not great, but it's not terrible. They do have that NFC West gauntlet that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. They also have a game against the the Browns early, though. Um, they have a game against the Bears. Um, they play the Seahawks early. That game is in Seattle, which could be a difference maker. Uh, they have a game against the Lions. I think that's week one. Uh, the Lions, I actually thought, played okay football. Oh, that's a preseason game. My it apologies. is a preseason um, game, yeah. But the Lions, I thought, actually played decent football towards the tail end of last year. Um, they did. See uh, The Seahawks on the road, I could see them winning that game early. Falcons, essentially, I could see them starting 2-2 two and two to start the year. And then after that, it's mostly a crapshoot. They don't have a ton of winnable games, but they've got two against the Panthers. They've got the Bears. Steelers at home, maybe that's an interesting game. Um, I probably Steelers D line and defense overall can win them that game, but I, I don't know. Um, I I could see them being anywhere from four to like seven wins. Nothing, nothing in that total in that range would surprise me in Atlanta. Um, Seahawks in Seattle are listed at five and a half wins. Um, I have them listed under that. I think this year could and probably should be Pete Carroll's last in the NFL. Um, he's a great coach. He's, he's had an incredible career and, you know, he's won Super Bowls. He's won NCAA titles, but I think without Russell Wilson there, they're going to have a really tough time trying to find leadership to make up for it. I could also totally see them um, moving on from DK Metcalf at some point, if the season goes really sour to start. Yeah. Um, I just don't really, I heard something Pete Carroll said where he was like, we spent our first round pick on, on Drew Locke. That's our first round pick this year. And I like him better than any of the first round quarterbacks from this year's draft. Well, okay. You didn't draft him though. You traded for him. And it wasn't like you were trading for Drew Locke. You were trading away Russell Wilson. You can't really spin that to me in a different way. Um, I looked at their schedule too. I just, 
they're I feel like they're far and away the worst team in that division. And even with Metcalf and even with Tyler Lockett and even with Chris Carson, they're gonna need someone to throw the football. <laughs> like Drew Lock hasn't had hasn't been awful, but he's not great either. I just don't I don't see him as the guy, and I don't see it really working out there this year. I feel like it could are be. We, are we even sure he's going to win the job over Geno Smith? I'm. I'm not willing. <laughs> to, I, I'm really not. I'm not willing to just say that he's going to be the starter. Day I think one. he'll be the starter. I think it would be hilarious if he wasn't. If he's not the starter, then you're. You're. It's guaranteed that they're tanking, and that Pete will be there next year, and that they're just heading. They're just trying to get a top pick. Um, yeah, maybe yeah, that's I, the plan anyway. So I don't know. It might be. I, I I'm looking at their schedule now, and and I I don't see a ton of winnable games either. I, their win total, I think, is going to be dictated by how much home field advantage do they have. Obviously, one of right. the best home advantages in the in the NFL with the the twelfth man. Um, I think that that's probably their only path to to going over on that win total. But yeah, they're going to be inferior at the quarterback spot in almost all of these games that they play this year. And definitely in every game that they play within their own division, uh, you know, how many games within the division they get one, two max. So yeah, it's definitely a rebuild time for Seattle and um, you know, Pete is getting old there. So it's, it's a little bit bleak right now. We'll see if it's a pure tank mode. He's older um, than Belichick. I think. Pete Carroll is in his seventies. I, I was surprised. I think to he's find got Belichick out. by like three years. I might be wrong. Pete Carroll is 70 years old, exactly. And I'll look up Bill Belichick right now for you. Bill Belichick is also 70. So they are identical age. Who who's older by days? I'm not I'm not exactly sure. But so I mean, yeah, I mean, they've they've both been around the block a little bit. I don't know how much uh, longer Carroll has left. Um, certainly been a great coach both in the NFL and uh and in college with with championships in both. Um, our next team, Washington Commanders. Carson Wentz, the new man in DC. Um, I their win total is projected at eight for this coming year, and I have them pushing. I feel like I don't love Wentz, but I mean he's not. He has his awful moments. I get that, but he can still win you at least six games in the regular season and probably a couple more. Um. They have good pieces of a defense. Terry McLaurin's great. Um, their running game at times has flashes. But ultimately, I think the biggest thing working in their favor is that the NFC East is very, I don't want to say shaky. I just feel like there's the Cowboys who are slightly above average team. And then there's the Eagles and the Commanders who are just kind of in the same boat as like in the mix, but not really great teams. And then the giants are the giants. Um, they have some okay games on their schedule. They start the season off pretty easy. I feel like with the Jaguars and lions back to back. Um, yeah. Then the Eagles at home. Um, it's better than starting out playing them in Philly the first time around. Uh, yeah, that's winnable. A- I mean, there's a scenario where they open up three and i I'm not saying that they will, but they could. There's a scenario where they start three and three. I mean, they've got the Bears on the road, October 13th, Cowboys, Titans. Like, their toughest games are the Packers, who I think will take a little bit of a drop-off this year, losing Devontae. Um, The Cowboys games, 
And I guess the Niners, like the Colts, maybe if, if Watson ends up playing this year, they play the Browns on New Year's Day. But I can see them winning seven, eight, nine games. I feel like eight is okay for them. I, you know, I can see them right around that ballpark. I, it was hard for me to peg them either below or, or uh, above that number, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I like eight as a number. I mean, let's keep in mind that this is a team last year with Taylor Heineke that found a way to beat the Buccaneers. So yeah, you certainly have the roster to steal a game here that you're looking at on the schedule that you might be chalking up as a loss automatically right now. I don't know which game that would be off the top of my head. But, yeah, I, I think eight wins is in, the, is in the realm for them. We'll see how strong or weak the NFC East is this year. You know, Dallas had a healthy Dak last year and was much better. Um, overall, I still don't think that division's great. I think that they're probably on par with the Eagles, who were the seventh seed in the NFC playoff last year. And so I think that you'll have Washington probably be on the fringe of a playoff hunt into the final week or two of the season. Um, but for me, I mean, we saw Carson Wentz choke away an opportunity to send the Colts to the playoffs last year. and He couldn't find a way to beat the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars at the end of the season in a in a win and you're in type scenario for Indianapolis. So though Wentz has talent, we saw his talent when he burst onto the scene in Philadelphia and we saw flashes of it last year in Indianapolis. It's his ability sometimes in the biggest of games, it's, it's, it's extremely lacking. And, and I, there hasn't been anything that he's shown me over the past couple of years to suggest that he's going to correct that. So I, I don't see Washington going anywhere because of Wentz ultimately, um, their defense took a step back last year as well, but I still think it's strong. Um, we'll see. I think that they got good skill guys. They re-signed Terry McLaurin. Antonio Gibson is a solid running back as well. But ultimately, I, I think that they're still searching for an answer at the quarterback position, and that's yeah. going to hold them back. No, I, I think you're definitely right. I Weirdly, I could actually see Heineke still being the starter for them this year. I actually kind of love Heineke. I, like, I know who he is as a quarterback. It's just fun watching him play. Like, he plays with heart, and he, he really, really cares. And you can tell. You can tell by his interviews, too. He's You should you should look up some tape on him. He's actually really – he's a hoot. Um, yeah, man. He, he's a guy who took his opportunity and ran with it. I mean, he was – he had – given up on football so to speak he was taking classes at jmu and um you know then with the injuries that washington had in the past couple years got the call and and ran with so it's a a great story and he's going to be set for life now he's going to make a backup quarterback salary and at at the very least and i mean good for him you know he's he's found a way to support himself and his family you know here and in the future so it is a great story and i am happy for him he does have a lot of fire he plays with passion you gotta love watching guys like that even if they're not the highest caliber of talent. Definitely. Uh, our next team, we're down to our final two. We got the Indianapolis Colts with Matt Ryan as their new man. Uh, 10 is their projected win total for the season. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Colts as a favorite in the AFC South. Um, the Titans, I think, if not for Mike Vrabel's coaching expertise, would not have had um, the same success as they've had the last couple of years. Um, I just, I, I, I have them over 10, but I will say I don't have them over 10 because of Matt Ryan. I think that Jonathan Taylor and the rest of their roster is good enough to where they should be a 10 win team, regardless of who their quarterback is. Ryan, I think could maybe help them win another game or two than, than Wentz could, but I don't really see Ryan as being the guy that 
takes them to the Super Bowl, per se. They probably win the division. Maybe they win a playoff game. Can they win two? I don't know. Um, but I think I think they probably win at least 10 games. I looked at their schedule. I mean, playing the Jaguars and the Texans four times total really helps, to be honest. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I could see them splitting with, uh, with the Titans. Um, I don't know. That, that's going to be an interesting team for me. I'm really interested to see how the Colts here plays out. They do have a few tough games against AFC West teams. Um, so maybe that plays a factor. They do, but their their NFC draw is is pretty good. They yeah, get very the manageable. NFC East, and they get both Washington and Philadelphia at home. That should be two wins, in my opinion, just because they're at home. And then they get the Giants on the road, and though that's a road game, the Giants are not very strong. So I think they could grab three wins from the NFC East. And as you said, they should get four wins off the bat in their division, two against Houston and two against Jacksonville. If that all lines up, that's seven wins right there. And then you scrap out the other wins, like you said, um, split with Tennessee. You know, you've got a winnable game at home against the Steelers as well. Um, can you steal one on the road in Minnesota? Maybe. You got to like scratch and claw through the rest of their, their schedule. I think that they can certainly get to 10 wins. I do think they're a playoff team. I think Matt Ryan is smart enough to just manage the game, ride the running game of Jonathan Taylor and that great offensive line. And I think they can get to the playoffs. Um, whether they get to 11 wins or not, I think that that's, that's right around where I think that they'll be either a 10 or 11 win team. This is absolutely a team that could win a playoff game. Last year, it was just the mistakes of Carson Wentz that held them back. Their roster top to bottom is extremely talented, as talented last year, I thought, as any roster. Um, are we going to get in a situation, though, where Matt Ryan is going to be forced to actually make plays instead of just not make mistakes? And when that situation comes, is the 37-year-old going to be able to do that? I don't know. We'll see. He's He's got the benefit of being in a dome, which he has been his whole life, so the elements aren't going to affect him there. I think that this is certainly a 10-win team and a playoff team, and if their roster top to bottom plays like it did last year, it's not a team I would want to face in the first round of the playoffs. I'll say that. All right. Uh, last but not least, the Denver Broncos with newly acquired Russell Wilson, uh, projected for 10 wins this year per DraftKings. Um, I'm actually a little bit lower on the Broncos than most people are. Uh, we've got a couple of good friends of ours that are Broncos fans. Um, I don't really think their skill position group is that great, which is what I hear Broncos proprietors say like, Oh, Russell has all these weapons. Does he really have a better weapon situation than he did in Seattle? I don't think so. Um, the defense is better than it was in Seattle, but the coaching is not going to be as good. Um, I can see them right at 10 wins, but personally I have them under, I not much under, I think it's probably right around nine, but they still play in a tough division. Maybe they split with all three of those teams. Maybe one of the teams takes two wins away from them. I don't see them beating both any of those teams twice. I think it'd be really hard for any of those teams to beat one of the other twice, unless you're looking at the best of the best. Um, I don't know. I feel like they could have, their season go a bunch of different ways and it really is going to depend on how good Russ actually is. Can he elevate the guys on the offense in the way that he did the guys in Seattle's offense in those early, early years? Um, 
how good is Denver's defense actually going to be this year? Is the D line going to be what we know it can be? Is uh, the secondary unit going to be as good as it's been the last couple of years? Who knows? Um, I, I would be happy for him if they had a great year and, you know, won some games, made a playoff run, but um, I think that's a really tough division and I could see a few of those teams falling short of the playoffs with eight wins or nine wins. Yeah, I, I really share a similar opinion on this. I think Denver is maybe I don't rate them as high as the national perspective right now. I see them at best, the third best team in that division. I, I put Kansas City and the Chargers above them in that division. Um, I think that both those teams have more firepower on both sides of the ball. Uh, certainly the Chargers, their, their roster top to bottom is um, really, really impressive. Uh, you mentioned the skill positions for Denver. I mean, are we willing to say that Jerry Judy is just going to step into a wide receiver one role with Russ now? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. No. I mean, he didn't have the best quarterback situation two years ago. I'll, I'll give him that. Last year, he was hurt for half the season. I mean, I'm not just willing to say that this guy's going to leap into this great wide receiver one role in his third year. Um, Cortland Sutton's been banged up a little bit. The thing I think Denver has going for them the most i think their running game is going to be very strong this year and russ yeah. will be being on it javante williams is a very talented young running back who when we get into fantasy talk i think is somebody that you want to be getting on your rosters this year um but their division is going to be so tough i think nine wins i mean they're going to be around 500 maybe a game or two above um but not much more than that i think it's just going to be a daunting and grueling division uh, like you said, I don't have much more to add. They do get um, a little bit of a benefit. They get the Jaguars and the Texans on their schedule this year, so that could bolster them. But they do have to face the NFC West as well. They got um, games with the Rams, Cardinals. They have uh, a tough the- schedule. That's what I'm saying. So If they certainly- make it to the playoffs, they're going to be limping into it. And yeah. after that, it's just a matter of – I mean, if they have home field going into it, that helps a lot. But I don't know if they can win that division. It's going to be so tough, I think, yeah. home field. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for any team to get home field throughout just because those all the teams will beat each other up throughout the course of the season. Um, I, I don't see any of the teams from the AFC West being the number one overall seed. It's just with with the gauntlet that they're going to have to go through, I, I just think it's going to be too much. Does that mean you have the Bills number one this year? Uh, the Bills certainly would be the team I would favor to be the the number one seed. Yeah, absolutely, out of the AFC. Okay. Yeah, I think I mean they're they're, they're, an, they're an overtime yeah. away from from probably playing for a Super Bowl last year, possibly at least. I I think the Bengals could be in that game again this year though. I genuinely do. They could be. They could be. Um but uh, are you going to leave off by the way you said that this was the 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 last one. Are you going to leave off Mitch Trubisky in Pittsburgh for quarterbacks <laughs> on teams? I can't believe it. I mean, I mean, if you, if you want to throw him in there, um, <laughs> dude, I, like you've talked about Pickett a bunch. Um, I'm happy for you that you have a new guy that Roethlisberger's finally gone. I hated Roethlisberger. I always have. Um, but I don't know, man. I <laughs> is, is we'll put it, let's do an over under for this instead. How many games does Mitch Trubisky start in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform? <laughs> Over I'll, under zero point five. Uh no, I think I think the consensus is Mitch Trubisky is going to start the year. I, I really? put it at around really yeah, 
I, he, he's going to start the year. I don't oh, think. Oh God, I would love to see that <laughs> on week one. Um, I, I'd say I'd, I'd put it right at about half the season. Starts about eight games, somewhere between six to eight games, and then Pickett will come in uh, from there. I think that that's kind of the consensus. What I've been hearing from the beat writers in Pittsburgh. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect to be honest with you. Uh, Pickett's going to be a rookie, and I, I just don't. I don't have a ton of confidence in Trubisky. So, but somehow the Steelers would probably go like eight, eight, and one. Mike Tomlin still won't have. <laughs> I, I told you a few days ago, if it wasn't for Mike Tomlin, you would have a really rough life as a Steelers fan the last five or six years. He he has found a way to to turn some some poor talent teams into at least middle of the road. I think that he's also failed in some instances to turn great teams into Super Bowl winning teams. Um, but it's a little bit of a flip of the coin there. Their yeah. defense is, is going to be good this year. They're they're going to be able to win games just 13 10 like they're going to be able to win games just they actually remind me a lot of the patriots team from last year where they have this rookie quarterback coming in will pick it be as good as mac probably not but they're going to have a great defense they're going to win some games strictly because of their defense and i don't know it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in pittsburgh I, I liked your take earlier about baltimore being the favorite um i think a healthy lamar for a whole season probably wins the division but joey b is there too so who knows to um, clarify on that take though i i got baltimore winning the division but i got i would say cincinnati still makes the playoffs and goes further because yeah i want i want burrow in the playoffs over lamar yeah so i've seen no i would agree i would agree um we're gonna take a short break when we come back baseball 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 home run derby all-star week is here uh we'll be back in 30 seconds all right so coming back from break uh patrick damar here with paul kashak the man the myth the legend greatest fantasy football commissioner known to mankind uh i can't wait until football season actually we we talked a little bit of football to start the pod i can't wait until football season partly because of our fantasy league but also i feel like just to have Commissioner Polly on the podcast is going to be something special. I uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to giving the breakdowns of the the league manager notes. Will come to to the podcast world, and I, I'm very excited for that as well. Uh, well a lot, a lot to break down with all the matchups with 20 teams in in our league. Yeah, so. seriously, we'll have to uh, we'll have to come up with a way to incorporate your your league manager notes into into this thing we'll f- we'll figure something out we'll figure something out but um home run derby is tonight it's gonna be starting up here pretty soon uh we got plenty of baseball to talk about you and i with the all-star weekend and stuff i'm excited i this is probably if not my favorite beast baseball week of the year it's one of them it's got to be for sure and uh to start it off we've got some great storylines coming into it juan soto who's participating in the all-star game uh, a lot of rumors surrounding him right now trade rumors contract rumors that sort of thing supposedly he just turned down a deal uh the nationals offered him it was for 15 years 440 million dollars that's 29.3 million dollars per year uh for those math majors at home it would be 15th among active baseball players if he took it but he rejected it um it's a lot of money it's a really good player probably worth that much money but he's saying he's worth more maybe um also, something to keep in mind, he previously rejected, this was two years ago, a 13-year, $350 million deal. So he 
he definitely has a game plan right now. But Paul, if you're in Juan Soto's shoes, if you get offered this mega deal, outside of the obvious, yes, I'm taking that money. How are you? How are you going about this? Like, are you taking the deal? Are you maybe waiting for something better? What's What's your play? Because I definitely know what mine would be. Well, mine would be to take it, um, and, and that's because I think you know you sign a 15 year deal you know that you're going to be a national for life. He's already won a world series there. Um, you know, the, I'm, the fans have to love him. Obviously he's been a phenomenal player, still very young. As you said, you know, you finish your career out in the place where you started your career, which in today's day and age is so rare. I think that that'd be something special, but I am looking at it from his perspective. And I, I, I do understand, you know, you said 15th uh, on a per year basis, um, you know, for, for what that contract would be. And I, I do understand his he probably thinks of himself as maybe the best player in baseball. And I think that you can make that argument. I would not go that far. And, and I think that that's where he's coming from. He probably wants to be the highest paid baseball player on a per year basis. And I know that uh, I don't know the details of Max Scherzer's contract off the top of my head, but I think he is making somewhere around thirty six million a year, um, potentially. And the Nationals reportedly offered Soto that, but only for a three or four year term. And so that wasn't a long enough term. So I think he wants to make top dollar Max Scherzer type money for a 14 or 15 year period and, and break the record books in terms of a per year basis and in terms of the length of contract. If I'm the Nationals, I think that they did all that they could do. Uh, really, you offer someone 15 years, 440 million and they turn it down. I, I, I can't fault them. You know, they, they put it out there. Um, but Juan Soto thinks he's the best and he wants to be paid like the absolute best, not 15th best. And so that's where he's coming from. And I can kind of understand it with his track record over the past couple of years. But right. if I'm him, I'm, I'm taking the deal and I, I would want to stick with my uh, the team that brought me up through the minors and stick with them for life. OK, I can respect that. Um, you mentioned Max Scherzer. He's at 43 per year. Right oh, now. 43. So I was I was off by a couple million. But. Yeah, only off by, uh, by about 12. 12, uh, 13.7 million a year, which yeah. is ridiculous to think about. Um, I think first and foremost, you have to acknowledge that Soto is one of the, he might not be the best player in the league. That's a hard argument to really have right now. Cause there's so many talented players at the top end. Um, like, I mean, we, we don't have to go through all of them, but judge Shohei, trout Tatis, if you want to put him in it, Vlad, like a whole bunch of people, even Scherzer, you could put in there. I, I feel like still, um, that's a whole other conversation, but you have to acknowledge what kind of player he is and that he is worth a considerable amount of dollars. If I'm him though, the biggest question with this is, do I want to be here for life? And if he's already rejected an offer from them twice, I don't really see him the third time around saying yes, unless it's just an absurd amount of money. If they go up to 45, $50 million a year, then I would think he's kind of dumb to not take that. But I think if I'm in Juan Soto's ear, I'm telling him, look, if you can keep this up, we can get you another deal, probably worth more money annually in another five, six years when the league's brought more money in. We've already seen it. Deals from five, six, seven years ago are nothing dollar-wise compared to what they are now. So he could flip this around you know, five, a half decade from now and make maybe 60 a year, push that limit that might sound ridiculous but is it really after the contracts we've seen the last couple of years i don't think so so if i'm him maybe i stick with the nationals but i wouldn't mind just trying to find a team with a decent young core and a talent pool around it 
run it with them for five, six years, maybe have a player opt out two or three years in, try to run it back. If, if you don't like the situation there, find yourself in a better spot. I'm, I'm all for baseball kind of taking some notes from the NBA and seeing some players move around more. Cause the most annoying thing of one of the most annoying things in baseball to me right now is the situation in Los Angeles where you have Mike Trout, who's been there his whole career and he's played in one playoff game, I believe. Just one? Uh, played in a playoff series against the Royals. So, uh, I, and they, if I remember correctly, I think they got swept. So, be three in total. My, still, my point still exactly, stands. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want Juan Soto to be stuck in a negative situation. I, I would love for him to be competing in the playoffs every year. That's what I want from all of the league's best players. Um, not having those guys on a baseball field come October sucks. So, if, if I'm Soto, it really just depends on what I value more. Do I want all this money? Do I want to stay uh, the roots, the team that took a chance on me early, that signed me, that I, that I came up in the organization with? Or I have a long career left. I'm only, I think he's, what, 20, 23, 24. Um, he can use that to his advantage. Take a shorter deal, still make more money. We saw Bauer do it a couple of years ago. He took a, what, three, four-year, $40 million deal. He already has his... Yeah, he has his whole situation too, but um, I don't know. I could, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him take this to free agency, sign somewhere else for a few years, and try to play it out that way. Well, he will, or Washington will, will try to get something in return and, and trade him and try to get some prospects for yeah. him. Uh, he, he is twenty three, you know. Supposedly, we don't know about those Dominican Republic certificates, <laughs> uh, as I always say, but. Uh, I think you made a good point earlier. I, I think that him rejecting this deal and supposedly maybe a deal or two prior is indicative that he doesn't really want to stay in Washington. I mean, he's already gotten a ring there. He's seen some of the talent from that World Series team leave and go get paid. Max Scherzer, Anthony Rendon. And so, I, I, like I said, I can't understand his perspective from there. I just think we are in this age of free agency and where, you know, with no salary cap, the, the best players just going to the highest bidder. It, it is becoming more and more rare to see somebody stick it out in their uh, career for their whole lifetime. I mean, I thought Freddie Freeman was going to be a brave for his whole career. And, you know, when well, he, he went to LA, been, if not for his he, agent, he apparently. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I read that that happens more frequently than people think that agents don't, I would believe um, always, that. you know, put the last deal on the table. They, you know, they get paid as a percentage based off of what their, what the contract that they put out there is as well. So, yeah, you know, We'll see. I, I, I think that Juan Soto's days in Washington are numbered now. It's, it'll be see if Washington can get anything in return for him um, on a trade, and, and it'll be interesting. I mean, if I had to peg a landing spot for him right now, it's, it's tough to imagine, you know, the Dodgers not throwing everything out there to get him. It seems like they do that every year. Uh, you know, a team like the Yankees or another high market team um, would be interesting. It'd be interesting if Soto went to the to the Angels. You put, you have Shohei, you have Trout and Soto all together on a on a team and we know that they could probably afford it too. So that's where I ultimately end him, uh, see him ending up. Depending on what happens with the angels in the next six to nine months, Shohei could be on the other end of that deal. (laughs) You never never know. You never know. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting to see how that situation plays out. If you had to put, if you had to put all your money on whether or not Juan Soto is still a member of the nationals, come trade deadline this year yes or no what are you saying 
Oof, that's interesting. Trade deadline, I, I think it's a it's much hairier question. I mean, that's just a couple weeks. I think that it could be uh, more of a situation where they move him in the winter. Um, so I, I would still say he's he's probably a national at the at the end of the trade deadline. But if is he a national before the beginning of next year? I would say I put a lot of money that he's not. There we go. Interesting. Um, I mentioned earlier. It's all-star week for baseball. Um, personally, one of my favorite times of year for the sport. Um, when I think about all-star weekend and all-star games in general, it really, first of all, takes me back to when I was a kid watching the sport. I felt like it was such a big deal. Summers, like at summer camp, I remember whenever the all-star game came on, um, we would, at the camp that I stayed at, more or less, we would had this big projector screen and we put it up on the basketball court and we just hang it up on our little like shed right near the court. And it's like 40 feet wide or something like that. And we'd all gather around and watch everybody play. And I remember like Ichiro is there every year. I remember the, the early years where it was like all my favorite players, Ortiz and, and Manny and, and all these guys that were there all the time. And I go back and I think to some of my favorite moments, just ones that I remember um there's the pete vladi home run derby from just a few years ago that was insane they're like just trading blows sending shots into the cleveland night I, i'll never forget that game i was watching that with uh sergey uh, a friend of mine not not everybody on the podcast will know but sergey he couldn't understand why they were doing that he, he didn't he's not a baseball fan he's like why are they doing this to the baseball just hitting them everywhere um what are what are your some of your favorite your some some of your favorite All Star Game moments? Because I've got several. So there are three that stick out in my mind. There are two that are actually in the All Star Game, and then there's one in the Home Run Derby. So I'll piggyback off of what you were just talking about in the Home Run Derby. Josh Hamilton in the Home Run Derby is yeah. stands out in my mind as much as anything. That's you know, still the, one of my favorites. His record, I, I can't remember exactly now with the new format if his record still stands in most amount of home runs per round. But his round set the precedent for why the Home Run Derby has changed and why we have this different format now. He didn't win it that year, too, just because he tired himself out. And that, that was a large driving force as to why now we have this tournament style and, and it's not 10 outs anymore. It's a timed clock. But that was just so impressive. And what I remember about that the most is he was sending these towering moonshots into the upper deck of Yankee Stadium. But throughout the course of his round, he would spray in a couple line drives to the to the bottom deck just so <laughs> those fans could get a couple balls and get some love. And he was just dictating where the ball was going yeah. uh, all throughout. It was it was just phenomenal. And you had uh, Chris Berman in the background going back, 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 back. And this one is a moonshot. And it was absolutely, as a kid, you know, just incredible to watch. I'd never seen, uh, you know, a physical performance of, from baseball like that before. So that one stands out to me first and foremost. Mariano Rivera uh, getting his send-off in the 2013 uh, All-Star Game That's a good stands one. out to me. One reason, because he pitched in the eighth inning, which at the time I thought was um, odd. Like, why not get him in there for the save? But yeah. the rationale was that, you know, they didn't want to risk blowing the – they had a 3 nothing lead at the time, the American League did. You don't want to risk anything crazy happening to National League coming back in the bottom of the eighth, and then Mariano wouldn't get a chance to pitch in the ninth if something – wild happened but his cutter was moving all over the place that night across the strike zone just jamming hitters so that was really impressive um and then the final moment was a uh, moment for me as a pirate fan in 2006 the the pirates hosted the all-star game 
And that year, Jason Bay had had a phenomenal season. He had a couple great seasons at Pittsburgh, but the teams during those early 2000 years weren't, weren't that good, much like they are now. And he didn't get much national recognition, but that year he was voted as the starting left fielder for the, for the national league. I remember that. When he was announced, the, the crowd gave him a big roaring ovation. And that, as a, as a young baseball fan, that was the first time I can remember Pittsburgh actually being on a, a national stage in baseball. You know, everybody was watching the All-Star game. Everybody that night knew who Jason Bay was. And I thought it was deserving that he got recognition because he had had so many good years. And, you know, we got to showcase our ballpark that year. It was only about five years young at that point. So that was a you know really cool moment for me as a Pirate fan. I'd say those three stick out to me to me the most i actually weirdly remember that that game too um that was i think it was like 2006 or something yeah 2006 yeah um wow that's a blast for the past jason bay red sox legend (laughs) how many years do you remember how many years he stayed in boston after uh after the pirates traded and that was a blockbuster trade it wasn't long because he was there i think he was there for 08, if I'm not mistaken, I think we traded for him midseason that year, but I could be wrong. I know he was gone by 2013. He was gone. I think he was only there through like 2011 because 2012. Yeah, I think I think he was gone after the 2011 season or we traded him that year because 2012. I remember we had like this weird combination where at the end of the year we had Johannes Suspettis in our outfield and like it was a terrible year, but um. I think it was 2011. I want to look this up now. Jason Bay. Jason. That that deal, while you're looking that up, if I remember correctly, involved Manny, Manny Ramirez. It was a three-way deal between the Pirates, Red Sox, and Dodgers where yes. Ramirez went from Boston to L.A. The Dodgers sent the Pirates young prospects, and we sent the Red Sox Jason Bay. Um, yeah, so... That was the blockbuster trade of that summer, I remember. Yep, three-team deal. Uh, it was the sun. It was on trade deadline day in 2008. Red Sox sent Manny Ramirez to Los Angeles. We also sent Craig Hansen and Brandon Moss to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Brandon Moss. Brandon Moss. Yep. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers sent Andy LaRoche and Brian Morris to the Pirates. So the well, Pirates just, got a whole bunch of prospects. Tell you for the for the listeners out there, none of those prospects panned out. Brandon Moss had a couple. <laughs> Brandon Moss had a couple good years in Oakland, but never in Pittsburgh. And the other guys are just not really worth mentioning. So that trade did not really work out for us, but it is. That's how it goes sometimes. It happens. I I definitely remember the Hamilton All-Star, the the home run derby. I'll never forget that. I was actually in New York that night, too. Wow. Um, I wasn't at the game, but I was staying at a family friend's house. We were on, like, a road trip that summer, and – we were pretty close to the stadium and I remember trying to do anything I could to convince my, my folks to get us in there, but it wasn't going to happen. Obviously it just wasn't a feasible situation. Not a spur um, of the moment type thing, but yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, I was familiar with Hamilton's story coming, coming back into the league after all the drugs and whatnot. And I had read his book a whole bunch of times. So he was someone I'd been paying attention to all that season and he'd been playing great in Texas. And then, Obviously, you have the Derby, and it's incredible. I, I sometimes still catch myself going back and rewatching that on YouTube. Um, I think about other home run derbies, the the Bryce Harper Derby in, uh, in D.C., where he came back and won it there at the tail end. 
Uh, I think about JD Drew's uh, Grand Slam, and uh, I think it was, um, maybe it wasn't a Grand Slam, but uh, JD Drew hit a home run in, in the All Star game at Yankee Stadium that the AL came and won. That was when he was with the Red Sox. That's another one I think of. There's the 1999 game at Fenway. Just going back to all these Red Sox ones, mm-hmm. it's kind of biased on my part, but all the ball players come out to shake Ted Williams' hand. Um, I feel like that might be the most iconic all-star game moment in baseball history. Uh, I don't know. Ted, Ted Williams there in the center and everybody, uh, I don't know. That, that gets me teary eyed thinking about it. I can't, I can't go too in detail with that. <laughs> um, no, I don't blame you. That is, that is certainly an iconic moment throughout uh, all-star game history. Absolutely. Everybody, everybody knows that image or has seen it at some point on, on ESPN or in highlights. For sure. What are you looking forward to for this year's All-Star Game, though? Is there a specific thing in the Derby or the game itself or, or even just the festivities surrounding the game that you look forward to every year or, or just this year in general? Uh, the Home Run Derby, you know, is going to be very interesting. I want to see if Pete can go for a, for a three-peat. There's been a couple of guys that have uh, won back-to-back titles. I know Ken Griffey won um, back-to-back. So I want to see if Pete can win his third in a row. And then there's, you know, bunch of other talented guys in the derby as well pool host and his his last ride here that should be pretty cool uh Juan Soto hit one 520 feet last year we'll see if he can top that this year so I'm you know very excited to see that um and then I'm not gonna lie I'm really excited to see uh Julio Rodriguez both in the derby and the all-star game I don't you know being on the east coast here in Boston I don't get to watch as many west coast games so I, I have to say I haven't really gotten to see this this young phenom play and i'm looking forward to to seeing what he brings to the table so um just some of the things that stand out there watching some of the west coast players as you said um shohei as well that uh i don't get to see on as regular of a basis i know that that was one of your challenges from last podcast was to try to watch more west coast baseball and so far i will admit that i am a little bit lacking but i uh i'm trying going forward it's a shame, man. The, there's something great happening in Anaheim every night, even if they're not winning games, um, which is also a shame. Um, I love the Rodriguez kid. He's a stud, man. I've seen him play not as much as I should have this this coming year, but I've tried to keep up with him, and I've been keeping up with him more lately. He started off the season slow, and he got kind of off my radar because of it. But then I noticed, like, mid to late June, he starts catching fire, and I, I start tuning in more He's pretty special to watch. I don't know exactly who he reminds me of. He's very unique. A lot of people compare him to Trout. I, I feel like Trout is kind of his own element. You can't really compare people to him. Um, Pujols, I would love to see win the Derby. I think that would be – it would be really cool. Um, I've told you before we, we started, I'm pretty sure this is accurate, where anybody who's participated in the Home Run Derby five times has, has won at least one. Uh, this will be Pujols' fifth time competing, so maybe he gets it. But uh, I think, to your point, Pete going for three in a row, I think if he could pull it off, it would – I'm not sure if it would make the Derby more or less relevant. I think it would be really fun because we haven't seen anybody do it, and people might tune in just to see this one guy try to keep winning it. But who's to say he's going to keep competing if, if he leaves, if he doesn't compete in it after he wins – I feel like if he wins this year, he almost has to keep going until he loses, essentially. And if he's not going to do it that way, then then I, I wouldn't really care if, if he won. Um, I would I would love to see Schwarber have a great performance. Rodriguez would be cool. 
Um, uh, I would love to see Seager hit more than like five out. <laughs> Not yeah. even win. I would just love if he can hit over five, I'll be happy. <laughs> I feel like every year there's the one guy just kind of thrown in. And I feel like he's the, either him or Ty France is the guy this year. And that's, I feel bad saying that because France has actually had a good year and Seager's had a better, better uh, last couple months as well. But either way, didn't Jason Bay, when he competed in the home run derby, I think he only hit one. Uh, if I remember correct, he did not get any. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think you might actually be right on that. I think it was zero, and that was at uh, was that in San Francisco? Yeah, I can't remember the the location for that year where that was exactly. I'm I'm drawing a blank on that. The Pirates have not exactly had the strongest showing in the home run derby over the the past few years. Andrew McCutcheon competed in it. I think he only had four or five. I remember Pedro that. Alvarez had an underwhelming performance when he. <laughs> Uh, was in the home run derby, which was really shocking because he could could hit the ball as far as anybody when he was. He's probably one of your best home run hitters years. the last ten years, right? Uh, yeah, him and that Josh Bell uh, was yeah. right up there with his season from a couple years ago, who lost to Acuna in the first round in this format. So yeah, yeah the, that hasn't been exactly the strongest showing for Pittsburghers in the <laughs> derby. If but. if you're putting your money on anybody to win the derby tonight, is it Pete? Um, I'm going to default to Pete. I have looked at the lines uh, for tonight. I think Juan Soto presents some value because, I, I mean, he's a left-hander. He's got as much power as anybody in this field. Um, so I would go either Pete or uh, or Soto. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately I got to defer to Pete with the performance he's put on in the past couple past couple years. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So that's who I'd be betting on. I would love, I would love to see Pete win. If I was betting, I would either go with Soto or with Schwarber, honestly, because – Schwarber's got this thing where when he gets hot where his swings and rhythm, I feel like every single ball he connects with can go out. And that partly comes from watching him in Boston at the tail end of this year, but even in Philly this year, he loves that park and Dodger stadium's pretty friendly to lefties. I feel like he and Soto together could uh, both have some pretty incredible nights this evening, but we'll have to see. Um, some other things I'm looking forward to just for the game tomorrow um kershaw starting in his home ballpark in the all-star game uh we saw bieber do that a few years ago in cleveland and he won the all-star game mvp uh pedro comes to mind doing that in fenway i think there's been a couple other guys to start in their home ballparks um uh, in the all-star game as a pitcher um but those are the first two that i think of and kershaw of course just coming off the near perfect game a few days ago um would be really interesting to see if he had a had a standout performance to start the game uh, I want to see Alcantara come in after him, though. I would love to see Sandy Alcantara light some people up in the All-Star game. He's been on a tear recently. Um, since our first podcast, you, me, and Jason have been in that text thread, and I feel like every third day Jason's sending us a stat about Sandy Alcantara. <laughs> and it's it's warranted. I mean, it's incredible what he's doing. He's having a career performance almost every night, more or less. Yeah, he really is. I mean, his stats uh, as they go, you know, through each rotation of the of the batting order, you know, you see a lot of pitchers, their their ERA or their batting average against spikes as you hit the second, third time through the order. His stays pretty consistent, you know, from from first time, second, third. And if he probably would be the starter, you have this game not be in L.A. or had he be play for a higher profile team than the Marlins. I mean, the guy's got a one point seven six ERA. Sometimes, you know, the circumstances, we talked about this on the pod that, you know, you, you have voting and you have some somewhat of a national perception dictate 
who starts and, and who's selected for these games. And it's not always fair, but Alcantara has been as good as they get this year. Um, I think, yeah, maybe if he's in a different situation, he would be starting um, on any other year or any other team. But it is what it is. He's definitely going to get in um, in this game, and I'm sure he'll put on a show. So, Fingers crossed. Um, last thing selfishly I'd really love to see in a game is uh, I'd love to see Raphael Devers bomb. Um, he's been hot, too. He's got a whole situation with the Red Sox where I don't know if he'll be in uniform with us come a couple years from now. Um, I think it's way more likely we extend him and keep him a part of the franchise than Xander. Um, but he's been running into some balls lately. He took a couple deep in Yankee Stadium um, in the series before the All-Star break. Um, we'll see if he can maybe get one tomorrow, maybe run one out. Um, he is starting at the top of the lineup in Kershaw's pitching. Uh, so that lefty-lefty matchup could be interesting. Um, I think I like his chances against him better than Alcantara. But he's also had this thing where I remember uh, it feels like anybody, any uh, big pitchers that Devers faces, whether it be Chapman that one time where he, he I think he hit one of the, the hardest thrown pitches ever out, like 10-something. And then Cole, mm-hmm. he's got his number sort of. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Anyways, um, the last really big thing I wanted to hit on with you just for this all-star game. I think, first of all, where would you rank the MLB all-star game as far as other all-star um, games across the, the four major sports in the U.S.? It's better than hockey's, right? I would say so. and it's Nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely better than the Pro Bowl. Um, I don't watch the NBA as much as the next guy, so I don't know what the perception is of their um, all-star game and the festivities that are associated with it. I know that they do the the rising stars game or whatever they call it. Um, and so I think the NBA would probably be the only one to compete, but I, I still would have to say that the, the MLB with the home run derby, how exciting it is and, and how they've changed the format. You know, I personally would still say it's, it's the top of the four major sports. Um, but you know, I, what's your opinion on that? Um, I think it's close with basketball. I think I don't think people pay as much attention to it as the NBA. Um, so I think that's really the main issue. Um, it's not that people don't care about the baseball weekend. They do. It's just more like it's it's not as polarizing sport as the NBA is currently. So mm-hmm. there there is a difference with it. Um I would say it's up there, though. I think there's a couple things they could do to make it stand out more um, just to try to really double down on it. So I have, and I prompted you with this coming in, um, the top, uh, what your dream all-star week would look like. I want to hear what yours would look like first, and then I'll I'll double back to you. So somewhat how they have it, but I want more skills competitions in there. So I want I want a double play competition. I want, you know, pitchers having to hit uh, a certain target, whether that's hitting the strike zone or hitting a corner. I want outfielders, you know, throwing from the outfield and, you know, how close can they get it to home? Or um, I would also love to see a, a competition where the position players pitch to pitchers. And so you break <laughs> up, you, you break it up either National League versus American League, or you just do somewhat of a fantasy draft, which some of the, the other sports have adopted um for their all-star game festivities and i want to see the position players pitch and the uh the pitchers hit 
And then I also think it'd be pretty cool to do maybe a, a slight variation of the home run derby, but with a metal bat and see just how far these balls could go when you get when you put an aluminum bat in these guys' hands. I would but be I, I really don't understand why baseball hasn't um, gone that route before. I mean, the you know, for example, the the NBA All Star festivities has a three point shooting contest. They have the dunk contest. I think that there's so much more baseball can do, and there's there's so many other aspects of the game that they can highlight. Um, you know, guys who are have such defensive skill don't really get the love for the All Star game. It's really more how what your offensive stats and category look like. Right. And you know, I think that those guys should get a little bit of love. Mm. Yeah, I would say I like I like that. Definitely, I think you need to find a way to add more skills competitions into it. I would love to see like a like a pickle competition or like running bases or something. We had a couple, we've had a couple of pickles the last couple of years that have been good. I would love to see just straight yeah. up pickle in the, in the infield or running bases, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think adding a wiffle ball game in somehow would be really fun instead of the celebrity softball game, do a wiffle ball instead, because I feel like while everybody, I feel like a lot of people end up playing intramural softball or, you know, something like work league softball or church league softball when they get older. When you're a kid, you're playing wiffle ball. I would love mm-hmm. to see that more so than than softball. But I have two propositions for you for my dream all-star week. Um, one is a little bit easier to pull off and slightly less awesome than the second, I think. So I'll start with the first one. First one is like baseball purist heaven. Um the all-star game will always take place at field of dreams in my, in my first proposition, always, no matter what, that's just where it is. That's where it is. No matter what Um, you're going to have the home run derby there or no, you'll have the home run derby somewhere else to really capitalize on that. But the all-star game itself is going to be at the field of dreams. Um, I don't know how that all works logistically. That's not the point of the exercise. Um, You're going to have the two leading vote getters, one from each league or not from each league doesn't really matter. You'll have them be the team captains and they'll pick teams during the home run derby the night before. So no more AL NL. We're going to do straight like Sandlot style. We're picking teams. We're trying to see who can win a game. And then I feel like they could try to market it almost like the Super Bowl, where they have some kind of badass concert at the end, like throw U2 or Pearl Jam or something in there at the end. Somebody like, it would be great if Jimi Hendrix was still alive because Jimi Hendrix guitar solos in the all-star game would go perfectly together. <laughs> that's, that's just a world in a perfect world. Like I'm thinking Super Bowl halftime show meets all-star game meets field of dreams meets 4th of July fireworks show, essentially. Um, would you, have, would you have the crazy commercials yeah. in there as well? Like the Super Bowl has. I like Definitely. That. Definitely, yeah. for sure. Uh, try to figure out a way to make that happen. Or you, you could have a thing where, like, uh, you you do a commercial competition with the teams and try to get them involved so, like, all the players are in commercials or something. I don't know. I, baseball, my point in that would just be trying to expand the baseball network, essentially. And then uh, my other idea, I actually like this one more. I, I would want this one to happen more so. Um, I would love, and I have always loved the idea of incorporating the world baseball classic into the all-star game somehow or doing a mashup of both like um hockey used to do this where during the olympics they would take a couple week break from the season to to let the players play it out 
I would love to mm-hmm. see that. I would love to see like a two week break. That's how long about the World Baseball Classic takes. Take a two week break during the season every four years. It's not every year. It's just every four years. Um, you could do qualifiers during spring training, and then on the championship like night, um, have the All Star game that day, and then double that up with the championship game, the gold medal game that night. They wouldn't necessarily have to be in the same park. Obviously not everybody left over, not obviously there's going to be teams knocked out from the tournament. You'll have people available to play in the game. I think that would be a really cool way of making it happen. Again, the logistics don't necessarily add up, but I've always really enjoyed the world baseball classic. I feel like if you tried to sort of market that as like a summer baseball event, and pair it with the all-star game in some way every few years, I think that would be really cool for the sport and for fans of that side of the game. I feel like we don't really have a, the U S winning the world baseball classic a couple of years ago, kind of made it feel more relevant in the States, but I don't know how much that will stick. I would love to see that be a part of baseball culture more similar to how the Olympics are with basketball or how the world cup is with soccer and so on and so on. Yeah, I, I share that opinion that I, I think that more more novice fans should be should get into the World Baseball Classic. It is the best players in the world, um, you know, going at it and representing their country. Uh, I think that's very interesting. I had a question, though, about that scenario. So would theoretically yeah. someone be playing in the All-Star game and the World Baseball Classic on the same day? No, if, if you're that, playing in the championship game at the World Baseball Classic, you're going to play that instead. Yeah, okay. All right. I wasn't I, I guess I got a loss a little bit. I wasn't quite sure if, yeah. if you're saying that they'd be playing both, but you're saying that they would both air on the same day, right? Yes, they would both okay. be on the same day. You could have it where like one's East Coast time zone, maybe a four or five o'clock start mm-hmm. and then eight o'clock on the other end, like West Coast or something. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I would love to see that, though. I, I can't that tournament's coming up this coming year. Mike Trout already said a couple of days ago he's going to be on the team. He's going to be captaining the squad, which I can't yep. wait for. I'm so excited. We're going to get to see him. Uh, we're going to get to see Shohei playing for Team Japan. Uh, there's going to be a lot of star power. Tatis will be playing for the Dominican, probably. Dominican. And, and I don't know if you've seen the projected lineup for the Dominican, but it is, it is scary. They, they, have some, they have some studs. They're going to be the favorite for sure. Um, that'll, that'll be interesting. It's going to be some high-level baseball. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I thought your first – I liked your first – first suggestion better i thought it was a great idea to play it at the the all-star game at the field of dreams and um making it a little bit more commercialized but i mean that in a good way where you can draw you can draw people everybody watches the super bowl even if you're not a football fan just because it's the super bowl and it seems like you you took a different route than i i wanted to to add more stuff that that baseball fans would like but it seems like you want to make it more of a nationally known event and draw in the people that aren't even going to bother watching it. So I think that that's interesting how we took different routes. And um, I, I, I like the idea. I thought it was, that's a great idea to have it at, at the field of dreams, the all-star game. That's really cool. It's, it's just kind of my, uh, my way of seeing it. Um, we got the Derby starting up now, more or less. Um, got the game tomorrow. Who do you think uh, final choice DFP winning tonight? I do have Pete winning tonight. I, I Soto, I think, is a good pick as well. Um, those would be my top two, but I got Pete. I say uh, it's a three-peat, four-peat. I'm going with Schwarber. Schwarber's my guy. Schwarbombs tonight. We'll see him. Um, what about the All-Star game, AL or NL? 
AL wins basically every year. I don't see why this year should be any different. I think the National League's only gotten three W's in the past 15 or 20 years or something like that. So AL's loaded with some firepower as usual. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to default to them. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. I love that. Um, thanks for tuning in. For those of y'all who are listening, uh, Paul Kashak, again, joining the show this week. Pleasure to have you as always. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for having me. Anytime. We'll be doing this again soon. I, I would love to try to get an episode in sometime uh, next week, essentially, and maybe go over some more stuff. Uh, maybe a reaction to the All-Star game, maybe some other things. We'll see. We'll see. But you'll be hearing from me again soon. Um, check us out on YouTube. Um, I've got my Twitter and Instagram linked in the description this Paul, do you have – are you on either of those? Not really, right? YouTube? No, I mean, I, I was able to access it on Spotify. I'm on Spotify. No, I meant Twitter and Instagram. You're not really a oh, social media Instagram, guy. Instagram, I am. I'm on Instagram, paul.kshack, K-A-S-C-H-A-K. Give me the follow. Uh, <laughs> I am not I am not, a, I'm not a Twitter guy, but – That's okay. We we don't all need to be. You just, you just lock down the Instagram for us, Paul. You better believe it. <laughs> all right, y'all. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Poly Baseball and I here will be coming back at you again soon. Um, enjoy the All-Star Game festivities. Go Sox. Go Buckos. Until next time. See ya.